Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. We thank you that your steadfast love reaches to the heavens and that your faithfulness stretches to the clouds. We thank you that you are a God who deserves to be praised, a God that deserves all the glory. I pray tonight, Lord, that you would just guard my tongue. I pray that the words I speak would be uplifting to your people, that you would bind them to the text, that you'd be able to allow me to apply your word to the hearts of your people. So, dear God, we pray as we we meditate on your providence and how you work out all things for our good and for your glory. We pray, God, that you would just bless the people of Park Baptist Church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been looking in the, in the morning through the book of Genesis. And when we, I hope I've said it enough that the whole book of Genesis the, is the unpacking of that great promise in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. When God said to Abram, leave your land and your country and go to a land I will show you. Uh, I will bless who, who you bless and whoever curses you I will curse. And through you, through your offspring, I will bless all the families of the earth. And what we see there is we see God fulfilling that promises again and again. So we see Abraham and Isaac, and then we see Isaac and Jacob. But now we're looking at Joseph. And how is God going to fulfill his promise? Even this morning we saw how how God allowed there to be bread in Egypt so that Egypt was saved. And I didn't even make that point at the end. It just said all of the earth, first time you see that outside of Genesis 12, came to Egypt, came to Joseph specifically to get bread. And what you're seeing is that God is fulfilling and making his promises happen for his people. And I think I want to kind of rest on that tonight. So we look at this, let your glory be over all the earth. Uh, it begins the choir master according to do not destroy. Uh, that was a, a name in, in the Old Testament uh, that they classify as do not destroy. A victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Uh, you know that David was fleeing uh, Saul. Saul wanted to take his life because he was next in line for the throne. Uh, David had the opportunity to take Saul's life, uh, but he did not want to raise his hand against God's anointed, and he fleed. So you see for, for several years of David's life that he was a, a nomad. Uh, he, was a, a, he was a man on the run. He was um, hiding in caves uh, with a bunch of rabble around him. And yet this song comes out of that. So we, we think about this, I've been trying the same, same point I've been trying to get at over the last several weeks, is that we are all going to face trials. We are all going to face difficulties, stresses, uh, things that, that, are, that are intense for us. And in the midst of those trials and that suffering, God is right there with you. You know, to some of you, I look around the room, some of you have been through things that I can't imagine. Losing those who are closest to you. Um, some losing children, uh, others losing spouses, um, some facing cancer, uh, some just having to, to watch uh, family members 
go to Alzheimer's. You know, there's so many things that you have experienced as, as, as a church body. Um, and what God says is that because we live in a fallen world, we are all going to face suffering. But in the midst of that suffering, we can trust that God is for us, that God is for his people, that God will work out things in our life for our good and for his glory. You know, when we look back at the end of history, we look back at our lives, we will see how God is orchestrating certain events to bring us where he wants us to be. So uh, I was in Washington, D.C., and, um, you know, my wife and I were kind of uh, beginning to have some early problems in uh, raising children. People always ask me when you have children, what's, what's, what's is worse, one to two or two to three? Or four to five or five to six, you know, you know what I'm talking about. For me and my family, the hardest jump was zero to one child. <laughs> that was like the hardest break for me and my wife. And uh, it, was, it became apparent that um, the environment we were living in in D.C. was not the best environment. And we had to, you know, leave that environment and we kind of slowed down, our pa- slowed down our pace of life and we moved south. And I was upset from leaving D.C. I never wanted to leave D.C. I never wanted to leave that big city. Loved my ministry there. Loved my friends. I thought God was really doing, doing a work there. Uh, but what I, what I realized is that God call, has called me first to my family before the ministry, right? My wife and my children are, are far more important uh, than, than the church or any ministry. Um, that should get an amen. Amen. Thank you, Dan. Dan's always my amener. Um, so we came south, and uh, I landed at a, as a director of a, a group uh, or of a school in Aiken, South Carolina. And uh, I got there, and uh, I was hired to be the director of the school. And my first day on the job, I look at the business card of a colleague of mine, and it says director of the school. You know, that's, 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 that's interesting, because I thought I was hired to be the director of the school. Uh, and uh, that's what happened. I was hired to be the director of the school, but when I got there, I was not the director. I was a glorified taxi cab. So I was picking people up at 7 o'clock in the morning, driving them to school, I would just walk with kids from place to place, and then I would drive them home at the end of the day. And I'm just like, what in the world are you doing here, Lord? Right? I'm directing a, a huge ministry in D.C. Uh, we're in six colleges. We're in 15 high schools. You know, I have this board. I'm raising this money. I mean, why would you allow me to, to leave that to come down here and be a glorified uh, cab driver? And... Uh, I was there for three months, and towards the last maybe three weeks of my trip, I was able to develop a relationship with one of my uh, counselors that uh, was working at the school. And he's like, oh, can I ride with you today? I said, sure. So we rode, and uh, during, that, during that car ride, had a chance to share the gospel with him. Uh, he, was, he's, he heard the gospel when he was younger, didn't believe. Uh, during that car ride, he confessed that he wanted to follow Jesus Christ as his Lord. Uh, now he's serving as a missionary. Um, I can't remember where. He's serving as, as a missionary somewhere uh, in the States. Uh, and I say that right after that happened, right after he came to Christ, Josh was his name, I, I got called into my supervisor and said, we're going to transfer you to Somerton, South Carolina. So it's just interesting that, you know, in that moment, God put me there, and I was mad at God, angry, why would you put me here when I have all these great plans for you, rather than to seeing what God was doing right in my midst. And what God wanted me to do there was to help lead this young man to Christ so that he could be a minister of the gospel to those who are in need. And then God moved me to another place where he used me in the same way. So here's the thing. When, when God is the one who's in charge of your life, God will work his purposes for you. This is what David saw in his own life. 
If you remember, when David was a young man, he, he heard Goliath defy the armies of the living God. So he, he says, Saul says, how do you think you can beat him? God help me with the bear. God help me with the lion. God will help me against this uncircumcised Philistine. See, David looked at the past providences of God and how God sustained him during his trials. Therefore, he could face future trials. And this is what I think we see in the book of Genesis, what we see in David's life, what we see all throughout the scripture, is that you are going to face trials. And those trials are given to you by a gracious and loving Heavenly Father. Full stop. Our trials are gifts of God. God will take us through those trials. We don't always know what God is doing in the midst of our trials, but God is doing something. Look at, look at the text with me. Uh, David is in this cave, and here's what he prays. He says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge to the storms of destructions pass by. So, one of the things that the evil one uh, wants to do I think this is better. What the evil one wants to do in your life is that he wants you to doubt God in your trials. That when trials come your way, when you feel the storms of destruction, what the evil one wants you to do is to run away from God. He wants you to run to despair. He wants you to run to anger. He wants you to run away from God. And what does David say here? I, I, will, I will put myself under your wing. Just, just the implication there is that the wings were there. The wings were there for this, this servant of God to, 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 to go up underneath. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. God will protect him from the storms. Isn't that a great image? You can just imagine a, a little chick, right? The storm is raging, raging around, and the, and the mama chick just puts the wing over and covers, uh, covers it from the storm. Verse 2, I think, is a profound verse. It says, I cry out to God most high. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. I cry out to God most high. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. You know, a while back, um, Rick Warren wrote a book. You may have heard it. Uh, purpose Driven Life. Right? Sold over 30 million copies worldwide. Uh, it was so popular that it was actually uh, it was, it was brought up in, in popular television. Right as uh, as a joke, uh, but this idea is this purpose-driven life. Well, we all want to find purpose for our lives. That God has made us for a purpose. But here's what this text says. This text says that God will work His purposes for you. God will fulfill His purposes for you. So God will take your trials, all your trials. He'll He'll take your physical ailments. He'll take the the relational. Uh, issues of your life. He'll take the, the society things that we're dealing with, and he will work his purposes for his people. This is what you see is the picture what I'm trying to show you in Joseph's life. Joseph was uh, one who God fulfilled his promises to Joseph. Joseph had a promise early on in his life that God would, 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 would bring him to rule. 17 years old, he sold into slavery by his brothers leaving his father forever in his mind. Taken to a house, serving faithfully. And what does his faithful service get him? It gets him false accusation to prison. But not just any prison. What kind of prison? The king's prison, where he meets the cupbearer and the, the baker. 
he shares the dream. He says, cupbearer, cup, uh, cup remember me. And what, what happens? He is forgotten for two years. And yet after two years, what does the cupbearer do? He remembers and brings Joseph in front of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh exalts him to the top of the throne. And we'll see next week how, how, how these promises are fulfilled. When was the last time that you just stopped and you looked at how God is fulfilling his promises for you in your life? God is working in you to bring you to a complete salvation. To bring you to that day when you will meet the Lord face to face and he will say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. The work that he began in you, he will carry to completion until that day. He will hold you fast. He will never leave you. And sometimes in order to get you there, he takes you through different things. But all the things that God works in your life, he fulfills for his purposes for you. I think sometimes when we look at providence, we step back and we say, what is God doing in the world? The, the big acts of God, how God is fulfilling his purposes. We see that in, in Genesis, how God is fulfilling his purposes to, to bless all the families of the earth. But God is a personal God. He is fulfilling his promises for you. So just think about how has God fulfilled his promises for you. All the things that had to happen in order for you to get where you are today. So... I came to Christ when I was 16 years old. I was raised in church. Uh, my parents took me to uh, the Lutheran church every single uh, Sunday, right? It was a liberal Lutheran church. They did not often teach the gospel, but I sang the gospel every week without even knowing it. Um, I was uh, at eight years old, or eighth grade. We were confirmed in, in, in the Lutheran church. When you're eighth grade, you're confirmed. You're part of the congregation. Well, my parents gave us a choice. You can either continue to go to church or not go to church. I just continued to go to church, not really because I love church, but I love my mom. My mom was going to church, so I said, okay, I'll stick with my mom. So right there, you see how God was working his purposes out in me through my relationship with my mother, right? And at the same time, I started playing sports. And because I started playing sports, I, I got put on a, um, in a, in a football practice. I met Coach John Picciotti. And Coach Picciotti was teaching me how to tackle in a linebacker drill. And afterward, I was a young, impressionable kid. I said, thanks, Coach, for, for instructing me today. After practice, he talked to me, and he said, hey, um, we have this thing called Young Life. I'd love to have you come over, and, and we, you know, we sing some songs, play some games, and we, we read the Bible. You know, there's free food. I'm there, okay? So, so what, that ha what had to happen for me to get there, I had to, I had to like football. I had to be able to want to play football. And God had to take John Picciotti, who was a successful commercial real estate investor, right, making six figures. He had to convict John Picciotti to leave his, his big-time job making six figures to work for $30,000 to reach high school students for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had to convict him to, to be a high school football coach on the freshman team so that he would get a chance to, to meet me. So during that relationship, God allowed me to start a, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, eventually going to camp, right? Just think about how God is fulfilling his purposes for me. God is calling me out of darkness to himself, and God has to orchestrate all these different things to fulfill his purposes for me. So I went to college. I, I played football in college, and during one of my classes, they, they talked about the need of, of teachers in the inner city, 
So I said, that's what I want to do. There's a heavy need in the, in the inner city. Well, why do I, do I want to go where there's a need? Well, because my mama, who I was close with growing up, told me that I should care for those who don't have much. Right? So the reason why I wanted to go to the inner city was because of my relationship with my, with my mother that God gave me when I was a child. So God put me in, in Washington, D.C. And what happened in Washington, D.C.? But I met my wife. Right? And, and I was, had the opportunity and the great privilege to help lead her to Christ. So the woman that I, I married, I helped lead to Christ, and now, Lord willing, will help lead our children to Christ, all because of, of how God is orchestrating his purposes in my life. When we look back, we will see all that God did to bring about his purposes in our life. And it's not all good, is it? When we look back, we don't, we don't think that everything that happened in our life was good, do we? The Bible doesn't say that everything that happens in your life is good, does he? No, he says all things that God does God will use all things in your life for good. For all things will work for good for those who love God and call according to his purpose. This is what Psalm 57.2 says, that God will fulfill his purposes for you. God has set his infinite love and mercy towards you. God cares more about your holiness, happiness, and joy than you could ever imagine. So when you're going through that, that suffering and that pain, God, God's heart breaks for you. And yet God knows where you're going through it. You will end up in his presence for eternity at, at his right hand where there are pleasures forevermore. And I think that we have to prepare ourselves for those trials before we walk in those trials. And not only do we have to prepare ourselves, but we have to prepare others that when they're going through trials, they can trust God's sovereign purposes for us. The doctrine of God's sovereignty or God's providence, the complete, his complete control over the world, is a precious gift to his saints. It, it will sustain you when life is falling apart. I can't imagine losing a spouse like some of you have. When it feels like you can't even think for months or years. And all those questions that keep you up in that, why God? It doesn't have to be losing a spouse. It could be anything. Physical pain that won't go away. Why God? Do you trust Him? Do you trust God's word that you see again and again that He fulfills His purposes for you? He will again and again and again. He will fulfill His purposes for the world, but He'll fulfill His purposes for you. So a couple weeks ago, I was talking in Sunday morning service, and I said when we look at our pain, we have to look at how God is using our pain, not only in our own life, but in the lives around us. So God has, has, has taken me through pain and suffering to be a blessing to other people. You know? You know how that works, how God prunes and, and, and does something in your life so that you can, can be a blessing to others. But when you look at that, that person who has, is going through that trial and that suffering, we're strengthened. You know, one of the things that I love doing, being up here on Sunday mornings, I love looking out and seeing you sing. I love seeing you sing, especially those of you who I know who are going through trials. I remember um, during one worship service, uh, we, were, we, were, we were singing 10,000 Reasons. Uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And a member of our, of our congregation recently lost a loved one, someone who was really close to them. And you look out in the congregation and, and you see them singing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
all that is within me. Bless your holy name. Well, what that does is that that's, that's the strength that I, that I see in that, in that person gives me strength. It gives me hope. There's so many ways that God fulfills his purposes for you. So how do you see that? How do you mark the God fulfilling his purposes for you? You know, do you keep a journal that writes down all the things that God is doing in your life? That you can go back and you can reference, man, God did that. You know, Mark Twain said the shortest pencil is, long, is, is, is longer than the longest memory. Something like that, right? Write, write, write it down so that we can remember what God is doing. And here's the reason why. Look through this text. And I, mean, I, I, could, I could, the book I'm reading right now is called The Mystery of Providence by John Flavel. And uh, he was a Puritan pastor. And he wrote an entire book on Psalm 57.2. 150 pages on, on Psalm 57.2 about how God works his providence in, in our lives, specifically for his people. Well, look at how the text goes on. It says, this God will send from heaven and save me. What will he send? What will God send to save you? It may be friends. It may be parents. It may be siblings. It may be uh, an accident. It may be cancer. Who knows what God will send, but what does it say? He will send from heaven and save you. God has set his love on you, and God will not stop sending things for you to fulfill his purposes in your life. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. When I was looking at Joseph's life a couple weeks ago, after he was put in prison, after the false accusation of Potiphar's wife, it says God was with him. God showed him steadfast love. He was just arrested by false accusations and thrown in prison. And the Bible, the inspired word of God says God showed him steadfast love. We don't always realize how God loves us how he sustains us, how he cares for us. But he does. He does. Again and again and again. So what I'm trying to do here for you is for you to, to, to understand that God's love is always set upon his people. So that you yourself would be strengthened whatever trials you go through. And the other thing I hope you see is that you need to help each other see and trust God's sovereign providence in others' lives. You know, God has given us the body of Christ for a reason. So we just had a great discussion as, as, as interns. And, um, and what, one of the things that came out afterward was that everybody sees things differently. We all see how the text is differing or experiencing evangelism in, in different ways. And yet we all come to, to the, the similar conclusion, even at coming at it from a variety of different, different ways. Well, listen, when we have close relations with each other, sometimes I can't see what God wants to show me because I am limited with what I can see. So sometimes I need brothers to come alongside me to show me how God is, is maybe moving in a situation that I don't even realize. God is always moving for his people. Look at verse 4. It doesn't mean the trials are limited. Verse 4, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, 
whose tongues are sharp swords. Now he's speaking of, not literally here, but he's using an analogy, metaphor, uh, that the people that he's surrounding are fiery beasts and lions. I saw a video this past week, I'm not sure if you saw it, of the, the little boy that was being hunted by the lion at the zoo. Did you see that? The little boy is sitting right by the glass, and his mom was about to take a picture, and the lion is sitting back behind him. And then all of a sudden he goes and takes jumps and tries to, 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 to take down this kid, and he gets hit the glass, and, and he moves on. But it's terrifying. I mean, can you, can you imagine take, taking a picture and seeing a giant lion running at your, at your child? Um, he was okay, so it's, it's, fair, it's fair to sh- say. But just think about it. Sometimes we mute the ferocity of the biblical pictures. Lions are ferocious. They tear things from limb to limb. And that's what he says here. The children of man, their teeth are spears and arrows. Their tongues are sharp swords. Have you ever been in relationships with someone where they have cut you down? They've slandered you behind your back? They've done all they could to to ruin your reputation? That's what David's saying. That's the world I'm living in. I'm living in a world where everyone around me is ferociously lying and trying to tear me down. And what does he say in the midst of that? Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. What would you be willing to go through if it meant that God, God's glory would be over all the earth? Would you be willing to suffer if God got more glory? Would you be willing to, to lose a promotion if God got more glory? If you were, would you be willing to lose your health if God got more glory? Would you be willing to, to lose anything if God got more glory? The purpose of our life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We want to glorify God. Would you, what would you not give up to give God glory? What would you not give up and whatever you thought of, that has your heart. That has the throne of your heart. We have to be willing to give up all for the glory of God. Verse 6, they set a net of, for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Verse 7, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. So he's in his trials, and he's saying, I will not move. I am faithful to you, God. I trust you. You don't get there in the midst of your trial. You have to think about it before you walk down that road. So that when you're in there, when the world, uh, the storms of destruction are, are swirling around you, you can say, my heart is steadfast, O God. I will not move. I will trust in you. And what, what, what do you say to someone who's, who's, who's living in the environment when the storms of destruction are passing by? You look at them and says, have your heart steadfast. Do not be moved because God will fulfill his purposes for you. He will perform his work in your life for your good and for his glory. Because that's what he has promised to do in his word. The end of verse 7. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. Just a side note, the Bible uses pictures of instruments all the time. You know, music is one of the ways God's people worship God. And we should want to use instruments to worship the Lord. 
Do you know that um, in, the, in the 18th century, um, we often mention Charles Spurgeon as, as a, the prince of preachers. Uh, when he was a pastor at Metropo- Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, he never allowed instruments in his church. Never allowed instruments. The only thing he ever allowed was the voices of God's people. You know, hymns and music is still a relatively new thing for English speakers. Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, was the first, as far as we know, English hymn writer for churches. When he started writing hymns in the 1600s, they only sang psalms in church without music. But what do we see throughout the scriptures? Harp, lyre, these strings, instruments, so that we can lift our praises to God. How great is that? I mean, God has blessed us with so many great musicians in our church that we can, we can all praise God together. Um, so in a couple weeks, super exciting, um, uh, Kaylee uh, Fluke, uh, she um, had to memorize a song for church or for school, and she wrote a song. She wrote a song that she could help memorize scripture to. And you know what, what, what our children's choir is learning? The song that she wrote. She wrote a song of the scriptures that we're going to sing in church. Amen. According to Charles Spurgeon, that wouldn't be allowed. But the scripture is full of it. Music is a beautiful gift of God that we should use. You know, and I, and I think that this, is, this is important just to say, listen, we all have different varieties of, of styles and tastes and preferences when it comes to music, right? Some people like classical. Some people like something gospel. Some people like contemporary. Some people like jazz. Some people like... Screamo, right, Brayden? Um, but listen, we all want to, to use the gifts that God's given us, the passions, so that we can praise God. So if, if I don't love a certain genre of music, but I know that it's going to help Chris Gross worship God, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sing that genre of music because I want to help Chris Gross worship God. So I, I want you to, to allow me, as your pastor, to have freedom to experiment I said that word, to experiment with different forms of music and worship. In the spirit of Isaac Watts, who wrote hymns in the 1600s, in the spirit of King David, who says, Awake, O harp, awake, O lyre, so we can praise God and, and say to him, the God who fulfills all his purposes to me, praise your name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The reason, I'm not sure if you picked it up today, but when we, when we sang 10,000 Reasons, what did, I, what did I read first? Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is, 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 the, is the scriptural foundation for 10,000 reasons. We, we sang a psalm this morning. It was just set to a guitar and a djembe. Praise God for it. Right? We were praising God in song. That was just the complete aside. Let me finish up. Verse 9. David writes, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. One of the things that I love, probably more than anything else right now, is um, my children singing. I love driving home uh, from church and listening to music and hearing my kids sing in the background. There's something special about hearing your, your kids sing. And it's not even when the music's playing. Sometimes they just start singing. And I can hear my little Olivia, that four-year-old ball fire, just start singing God's praises. And you know what? It just makes me weep. It does. It just makes me weep to think that she 
will one day be gathered around the throne of God with all the saints throughout history praising our Savior. We will sing of your praises among the nations. This is what Genesis 12, 1-3 speaks about. That you will sing your praises among the nations. That we will bless all the families of the earth when we bless the name of God when he fulfills his purposes for us. 10 and 11. The reason why we can do all this it says, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. If you ever doubt God's love for you, you're in a trial, things are difficult, you feel overwhelmed, you feel like you can't go on. Here's what I want you to do. Wherever you're at, I want you to go outside and I want you to look up. And I want you to remember this verse. Your steadfast love is great to the heavens. From where you stand all the way to the heavens is the steadfast love of the Lord. The, the faithfulness of God is, is where you're standing all the way to the clouds. God's faithfulness and his steadfast love cannot be measured. Don't think that we can know the mind and the heart of God in the midst of our trials. His steadfast love is great. His faithfulness is amazing. That's why we say, verse 11, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Now remember, David is saying this in a cave. The, the, the one who was coronated and anointed as king, and yet one who is, is yet to sit upon the throne. The one who is, who is running from Saul, and yet he says, Let your glory be over all the earth. I pray that would be our heart's prayer as a congregation. That the glory of the Lord would be over all the Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you've given us in Christ. We thank you for his death and his resurrection, that even in our worst trials we can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. So, dear God, I pray that you would just strengthen and enrich your people. Help us, Lord, to understand that your steadfast love reaches to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. We ask this in Christ's name.